Welcome to the Level Up Podcast, brought to you by Century 21, the Harrelson Group, featuring masterminds with real estate leaders, coaches, and influencers, plus eye-opening strategy sessions with up-and-coming agents. You'll learn exactly how to go from agent to entrepreneur. And now, let's get to the latest episode of Level Up. Hey, it's Greg Harrelson uh, here with another episode of the Level Up podcast with my partner and great friend, great agent, uh, Brendan Payne. And we are going to have a great conversation, kind of a continuation of a conversation that we had um, on a previous podcast where we, um, and it might have been titled The Lies That Brokers Are Telling Agents and, and whatnot. It was a variation of that. We were talking about like all these things that companies and leaders and brokers are telling agents that just we believe are incorrect. So if you if it's a controversial title, it sounds like there's a lot of conflict <laughs> there and whatnot. But I think if you really go back and listen to that podcast, you're you're gonna you're gonna see some tremendous value. And because the feedback that I got from that podcast was amazing. So first of all, before we go into it, Brendan, uh, welcome back again and joining me for another episode of Level Up Podcast. What's up? Hey, I'm glad that uh, glad to be here and glad to um, I guess share the wealth on this stuff because we got we did get a ton of uh, a ton of good feedback um, from the last one that had to deal with brokers. So there's uh, let's talk about the the lies and the myths that we're telling ourselves as individual agents and producers out there, and, and yeah. uh, maybe we'll all get better because of it. You know, we did that. Uh, you actually came up with the podcast that subject, the lies mm-hmm. that brokers are telling agents, and I was just like, dang, Brendan, we've got to do this. You're right. This is such a great one. And then one of my agents, um, I think it was one of my agents, was, oh, yes, it was. One of my agents had listened to that podcast, and he says, Greg, you need to, like, you know, do, do another podcast, like, you know, because maybe one day you can talk about the conflict that I'm having. And I said, well, what is that conflict? And he says, I, I have this in my mind that I can't be a salesperson and a person who is actually relationship driven. Mm. I have to choose to be one or the other. And I looked at him and I'm like, what, what, what are you talking about? And then it dawned on me, there are lies that agents are telling themselves, yep. you know, that's getting in their way. Um, so that's kind of where we are. I, I yep. just am excited about the topic. So let me just kick it off. And, um, and we'll start with that one and just get your feedback on it. Um, and that is, you know, agents tell themselves that I have to either like be Brian Buffini or I have to be Mike Ferry, yeah. meaning I have to be hardcore salesperson or I have to be the relationship person. And I actually don't believe you have to choose one or the other. I think you actually need to be all of the above. But what is your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think, I mean, if, if you're going to choose one that you think you have to be, then you are literally eliminating probably 75, maybe 85, 90% of the people that you're going to work with. Because we know the number, in my opinion, one of the number one skills in this business or in anything you're dealing with the public is being versatile. And there are a bunch of people out there that aren't like you that we have to work with. So mm. yeah, choosing and feeling like you, you either have to be hardcore sales or, um, or relationship-based is really missing the whole point because you're going to have to be a, a salesperson first and then be versatile in how you, how you come across in that role. 
I'm so glad you brought up the term versatility because, I mean, that's a great point to be uh, to discuss. And, you know, a lot of times we default. I believe we default where our selling style, whether it's the non-salesperson, it's just the nurturer relationship person or it's hardcore salesperson. I, I think our selling style, we a lot of times we a lot of times we default to how we want to be sold by another yeah. person. Like we want someone to like be relationship uh, driven with us. So therefore, I feel like that's the best strategy. Like mm-hmm. how I like to be um, sold is the best strategy as a salesperson. And that's not necessarily true because how you like to be sold and how uh, someone else likes to be sold is totally different. Yep. So versatility is really the key. Yep. It's like, it's not that you have to be this way or that way. You have to be their way. Yeah. You have to be their way. You have to, you, you know, kind of conform to the strategies, selling strategies or the personalities of the other person. Now, let's just say, though, when we talk about relationships and salesperson, um, I think one of the best relationship strategies that you can ever use is to give people your advice, to make suggestions to tell them what you think they should do, considering you've pre-qualified them and you understand everything that they're looking to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are times, you know, where you've got a child and, um, and the child needs to take a shot and the shot, the the child's crying and you're the parent. What do you do? I'll give you a sucker. If you just take the shot, what are you doing? You're selling them. Why? You're selling them because you know, beyond a doubt, you have to pull all stops to make sure they do what is needed. Mm-hmm. And I mean, maybe that's a crazy uh, you know, example, but in, in my mind, you know, buyers and sellers are like that. They need somebody to, to kind of give them advice, to nudge them a lot of times. And sometimes we use sales conversation in, in a way not to manipulate, but to in help them see the light and see the logic in, in, in choosing the right decision. And to me, you want to honor and be somebody that's, you know, uh, uh, honors relationships. That's the best way to actually be in relationship is mm-hmm. authenticity. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's always interesting to see and it happens all the time in negotiation because that's the one time where you get typically there's two agents involved in the conversations and think of how many times we've talked about on the other side, you've got an agent that's so emotionally invested into the client or the transaction or the deal going through and completely skews kind of what really is best in the best interest of that of that yeah. uh, client on the other side. Yet, when there is something really important to get involved in and take a stand and, and say, this is really what you need to do, they fail to do that. So yes. when it's emotional, they'll get involved in, in, in we we tend to mess everything up. But then when it's really the most important time to really become the professional, people take the step back because they say, well, you know, that's the client. I can't tell them what to do. So it's, it's an yeah. interesting, interesting, um, you know, phenomenon, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, that's the price reduction conversation, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's the price reduction conversation. Yeah. Another thing just dawned on me while you were talking. It's like, how many times have we talked to um, sellers? Maybe they were expired because... I'm, I'm, I'm choosing a category that already had a, a relationship with another agent. And they say, yeah, I'm never going to list with a friend again. 
Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I shouldn't have listed with my friend. My gut told me, like, why do people say that? People say that because they felt that they couldn't speak freely yeah. because of their relationship and the agent couldn't speak freely and that probably hurt the transaction. What it tells me is that people want to be told or nudged, but it's they still want to, to have a relationship and have it to be good rapport and whatnot. You know, yeah. so I actually think the key is being a great sales. The key is being a great salesperson that knows how to relate. Yeah. Yep. And given the information, ultimately the client's going to make their decision. But yeah. you, so it's clarification that it's not you telling them what to do, and that's the only option. But you got to give them the options instead yeah. of otherwise they'll sometimes make a mistake and you could have, you know, helped them avoid it because they just didn't have all the facts. So present the facts and let them make the decision that they want. Yeah. So what kind of, uh, what, what lie have you heard through coaching agents and just uh, being around the industry as long as you have? One of the big ones was, um, when I was thinking about this, was the agents, I think, feel like when they're looking at someone that is maybe doing more production or they're doing production in an area of the business that they're, they haven't been able to really break through yet, that there's a story that they tell themselves that there's something inherently different about that person. So that other person is different. Now, at that point, if you decide that other person is, is different than I am, then your choice at that point is to either say, okay, well, they're different because maybe I'm not willing to do what they're willing to do, or maybe I haven't put in the time or the skills, but that's a hard one. Most people aren't going to admit that you know, that's, that's the, the things that I should be doing. I'm not, and that's the difference. Yeah. So they choose to say, you know what, that person must be cutting corners or they must be doing something that is, you know, that, that they're, they're, they're lucky. They're just coming across this stuff. And if you put two of them together and actually studied what they were both doing, it's clear why one's getting more. And that's something that I think is in a lot of people's heads that they think there's something inherently different that's beyond the effort, the time, and all the reps that have gone into that business. Yeah, as if they're both human beings, but there's something else going on. I mean, either they're like cutting corners, they're cheating, they're, um, they, they had special sales training when their dad was a salesman, yeah. or you know, they, 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 you know, they, I, they just have a different personality. Yeah. Um, you know, well, well, they're grinders. I mean, they work, they're like workaholics. They have no life. You know, these are all things that are said about top producers all the time. Yeah. Right. And, or you, and you, you, you sorry to interrupt. You take the take the um, newer agent that's modeling someone that's already been has already done all of the foundation work, all the pre work. They've been in the business for years, and then you got the new person coming in and saying, "Well, look at what look at the results they're getting, and I'm watching what they're doing, and I'm doing what they're doing." but I'm not getting the results. And they're missing the whole fact of the skills that that other person has built over the period of time. They're two completely, it's comparing apples and oranges. So automatically then they think, man, they must be real. They, there must be some secret that I'm not special. in on. Yep, they're special. There's special. Something, something going on. And so yeah. when, when somebody else is special, then that means I'm not. And mm. they've got something I don't, which really that, that's a, that can you know, cut you off the knees. Yeah. And, and, and the reality is, is like if we look at hundreds or thousands of top producers, they're all coming like there, there is no like perfect. Oh, that is a top producer. No, no specimen. Like, okay. Top producers wear uh, jeans and black shoes and no belt 
and this. Like, there's no such thing. They all mm-hmm. look different. They're all, everyone's different. So there is no such thing as that's what it looks like. It yeah. actually looks different. Everybody looks different. It's really the activities and whatnot. I'm starting to actually pick up a theme here that I'm going to share. I just wrote it down and I, I don't think it's time for me to share it yet, but I just had this aha and I put it on my notes here. Let me go with one. Yeah. Um, I got here. I don't like prospecting. Mm. Now people are like going to hear this and be like, no, 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 either. that's true. I don't really like prospecting. <laughs> I don't like making cold calls. I don't like making calls. So what I, I put down on my notes here in preparation for this is the person, in my opinion, the person who says, I don't like making those calls, I don't like to prospect, I like to, you know, I like to work my sphere. I like referral business. Mm. It's like as if there's one or another, like you either prospect or you work this referral business. But what I find is in my experience with agents, the same people that say they don't like to prospect, I don't like to make calls. They actually don't do a lot of business with their centers of influence and referral because it requires you actually calling them. Calls, right? It, it requires call. It's like you have to prospect them. So it's like I people say things. They generalize. They say things like, you know, I don't want to make calls. I don't want to prospect. I don't want to cold call. Um, and and here's what I think's really going on because I don't think there's people out there that don't want to make calls. I think there's people out there, agents out there that don't like who they are when they're making calls. Mm. Okay. So for instance, if we had a charity and we said, Hey, look, we need to call a hundred people and we need to ask them for $25 donation because that money is necessary to save the lives of these children over in this one area. Like I could take a thousand agents that say they hate making calls and tell them this is what we need to do. And they're like, I'm in, I want to be there. So it's not making the call. It was the intention. It was the value. It was their perception of the impact the call was going to have on somebody. Yeah. So yeah, they're not connecting the dots. So it's a lie. I don't like to make calls. That generalization is a lie. You do like it to make calls when you're crystal clear on what the outcome is mm-hmm. and you're crystal clear on the value that you're bringing to another human being. Yeah. And, and so I want to connect the dots with this. It's like, look, when you're making calls, don't make calls if you're not going to bring any value. And if you're sitting here saying, I don't like to make calls, then what I believe you're secretly saying is, I haven't identified what my value is. Therefore, I'm not going to waste anybody's time. Mm-hmm. So then go spend some time with your coach or go spend some time with, 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 with people to identify what your value could look like. Now, all of a sudden, you'll see the resistance lessens. Yeah. So I'll give you a great example of that. And that okay. was in probably in the first, I would say the first 90 days, I can remember a conference call that you did my first 90 days in the business. And um, so I, have, I bought in early, said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, but still had a little bit of resistance and you know, not knowing everything to say and, and picking up the phone and making all these contacts. And I remember on a conference call, you brought up, the concept of understanding that there are there's all these agents in our market in every market and 
we know you could go to any market and ask any agent and they're going to say, well, there's people out there that don't have the best intentions or they're not skilled or they're part-time or there's just, there, there's just, you know, maybe it's not the best person to work with from the client standpoint. And so what I picked up from that was understanding that I better, if I'm going to go out there and serve the, the public highest level, then I better believe that I'm the best person for them to work with. And the way that I did that was understand that there's, you know, another 5,000 agents in any given market. And if I'm not getting myself in front of that person and I'm not giving them an opportunity to work with me, then I'm actually doing the public a disservice. If I truly believe that I'm the best person, and if you don't, then why are you talking to anybody? Because you should be believing that you're the best person to work with them. And if you believe that, then you have to put yourself in a position to talk with every single person you can. Otherwise, you're actually doing the public a disservice by not giving them a chance to work with the best. And adopting that instead of the lie of, you know, I just don't like to make calls. I'm just not that person. That is going to be, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. You know, I remember this conversation very well because, you know, I use the term, it's it's our duty. Mm -hmm. It's our duty. So like, look, if you don't feel like um, that you're, that you have the conversation or the value, um, if you're not willing to make the call, let's just assume for a moment that what's really going on is you just don't like what your, your perception of how that call is going to go, which really means you don't like the value that you're bringing to the table or the lack of value. And it's okay to be there. Mm-hmm. It's okay. If I could do anything and it, you know, it, it would be right now to just hammer into agent's head that the awareness of why you're resisting is so important because you've convinced yourself that you're not resisting, that you're just avoiding things that you don't like. But the reality is, is you're really resisting. So once you become aware that you're really resisting and what it is you're resisting is you just don't really, you're not confident that you have value to bring to that conversation, then that's what you need to work on. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, look at all these expireds that are out there, you know, around the country. There's a lot of people that failed to sell. Well, when, when you know, you call, call them people. And, and, and at, figure out what you can bring to the relationship that no one was able to bring that will allow you to help them reach their goals and get them to Atlanta so they can be by their grandchildren. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's like if you really think through this, you provide a value. And as you were saying there, the whole concept comes back to if you have a value and you don't make the call, then you're cheating the consumer because that means you're allowing the consumer to or yeah you are uh, you are enabling or putting the consumer in a position to choose between agents that are not at your level of value or skill yeah yep, just yep. you have to if you have have value then stop being so selfish with it allow people to hire great people like you and let's face it, they don't know you, so they're never going to call you. <laughs> you can only call them and introduce yourself to them. Good. Okay. Cool. You got another one? Yep. This one, this, this one was funny to me 10 years ago, and it's absolutely hilarious to me now. Okay. Because it, in just the, the basics are agents 
lying to themselves and believing that their exit strategy of this business is to sell their book of business and ah. be able to move on when they're ready to, to move on. So the, the concept is you, you've done this, these sales and you've got these past clients and you've got your database that at some point when you're ready to ride off into the sunset, then somebody's going to want to buy that stuff. Now, 10 years ago, it was kind of probably a flawed concept just because you know we just that wasn't happening a lot. 2,000 deals, yes, maybe somebody's buying, but that's not a team, that's not an agent, that's a company. Yeah. But now, everybody's got your database. No one has, no one has a, um, you know, a hold over every single person that's in their database. You've got tech coming in and pulling people. All this stuff's happening and people's exit, agent's exit strategy is still, I'm just going to walk away and somebody's going to buy what I have in this business. And in all that time, instead, they're doing, planning on that instead of building things out in their business um, in, in using other strategies that you can in this industry to build wealth so that your exit strategy is based off that, not trying to convince something, someone that your, um, your past clients and your real estate transactions has a value at the point you're ready to leave. Yeah. Um, I, and one of my great coaches and I, actually the greatest coach that I ever um, uh, you know, uh, had the privilege of being with for years was Tony DeCello. And he actually sold his book of business years and years ago when he was with Remax. And I was introduced to him through the Mike Ferry organization. And, um, but like, it's so rare to find somebody. And nowadays everybody's like talking about it. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to build it and sell it. Build and sell what? You know, you, and, and th- this, there's going to be people listen to this who think that we're fools, that we're missing the boat. Okay. Well, please show me, but, but show me the financial statements. Don't show me like the story. Don't tell me the story. Show me the numbers. Well, let's okay. clarify this too, because I, I agree there are going to be, but let me clarify what I'm saying. Okay. The, there will be people that will sell their book of business, but I will promise you in line next to or ahead of that value of that book of business are probably five, 10, 20 other pillars that that is not their only exit strategy. If someone was sharp enough, skilled enough, de- uh, dedicated enough to end up selling their book of business, I can promise you that was not the only exit strategy. That was just a bonus. So yes. it's not going to... That's good. Good point. It, yeah. So not saying it can't happen, but that anybody that's doing that and has the ability to build something that's worth that much, they've got 10 other things that they build along with it. So yes. just as yeah. a single exit strategy... Not viable. Yeah, it's a little tough, and and I think what people have to be, um, we have to start thinking about is, you know, uh, a lot of people's interpretation of a book of business is their database, mm-hmm. and let's just call it what it is. A database is nothing more than a spreadsheet, a phone book. Right. Yeah, it's a phone book, especially today, because everybody in America is already in some real estate agent's database, whether it's Zillow's database or a real estate agent. I mean, just about everybody's in a real estate database. So there's not a lot of people in America that own property or thinking about buying that are not already being nurtured in someone's database, which, by the way, kind of lessens the value of each name in the database because now so many people have them. It's not something that's unique to one agent versus another agent. The uniqueness comes from the way they relate, nurture, communicate, and the value that they add. Mm-hmm. And what's challenging a lot of people in the area of buying databases, whether or not the new owner of the database can actually carry that on. Yeah, transition that. 
transition that. And so I've seen people make some attempts lately and fail miserably. And maybe there are people that are, are successful, but I guess at the end of the day, I think agents need to be figuring out how to make as much money as they can by delivering as much value as they possibly can and doing that right now. And anything that they sell is definitely a bonus. Mm-hmm. Yep. What you got next? Let's see here. What else did I put down here? I wrote down, did I write down survival versus thrival? You did. What the hell was I talking about? I don't know. You're making words up though. I like thrival. Let's, let's hear what is, what's thrival? Well, I'm not sure exactly how it pertains to this conversation, <laughs> but I'll just go with it anyways. We, yeah, I, I, I really I think I'm know. reading your mind. I think yeah. I know what it means. I, well, thrival to me is like, you know, most agents, unfortunately, I have no idea how this ties into lives, but I'll surely talk about the difference in survival and thrival. And survival is like, it's amazing how most agents, they build out these wonderful business plans that will help them get what they want. Like they think of like, man, if life is perfect, this is what I want. This is what I really want. That's like, they're stepping into that place of thriving. They're thriving. They've got more than they need. They're, they've got more than just having their bills paid. Now they're, they have the ability to do some extra things that they want to do. Invest, travel, college education without student debt. You know, what charities, build houses, you know, for, for homeless communities, whatever that is, that would be the thriving side. But I, for some reason, very few agents will act upon the activities that lead them to thriving. They seem to always stop right at surviving. Surviving. Like if it takes five contacts a day over a course of a year to survive and pay the rent and make sure you keep the electricity on and some food for the children, then it's like they make five contacts a year. Mm -hmm. But if it takes 15, I mean a, a day, if it takes 15 contacts a day to actually have all that plus and plus and plus, it's like for some reason they're not motivated to do the extra work to go after the thrival. They seem to just settle for the survival. Mm-hmm. Now, if you know where my mind was about lies, then go ahead and chime in. But that's my little survival thrival, yeah. um, you know, speech. It it flows right into the one, the last one that I wrote down, okay. which was I think agents believe that, and this is this is really one that I would let most people off the hook because it's it's kind of natural i think in most other industries until you have been exposed to why this is such a myth and the myth is that you actually have to work harder work more in this business to get more and we hear it all the time and in many jobs jobs not industry career type things your uh, entrepreneur your your own boss in this business but in many jobs, you do have to work harder in order to get more. And so that's kind of the, that's kind of what I think we're brought up with. And then we get in this business and go, okay, man, I'm working really hard and I'm doing X amount of business. What else could I possibly do? This is just what I'm going to get. And I want to do more, but man, I kind of want to work more hours. And it doesn't have anything to do with that. The business gets easier. The hours get less when you increase the amount of business you do for a couple of reasons that I'll let you go through. And first is because you're more skilled. And second is you're getting more. So now you can start delegating and start 
bringing people in to help with the business. And you actually are able to be more streamlined in what you do, which means you have less time involved and you can go have more with less investment of your own time. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like people think they get there, you know, in this term, you know, I don't know if I want to do all that. That's too much work. Or I'm not sure if I'm, you know, I'm already working X amount of time. I don't think I'm willing to just sell myself to, you know, sell my soul to the business as if the, in order to get more, they have to work more. But the key is, is we're not like, we're not getting paid by the bushel. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I say that because I remember my um, my dad telling me a story because my, my mom grew up on a big old farm in, or not a big old farm, but a farm in, in, in California because, you know, that's what, that's where she grew up. She grew up on a farm. And, and I remember my dad saying, yeah, every once in a while he would go help out and, and, um, and help out the family and they would always pay by the uh, box. They would um, harvest grapes, pick grapes, and you're just getting paid by the box, Right. And, and, and there would be some people that would work their butts off, spend more hours, run faster, not take breaks just to fill up more boxes. But that's not real estate. We're not, this is not manual labor where we're getting paid by the bushel or getting paid by the box. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where you get paid for how smart you work now, how, not how hard you work. And I've said this so many times. It's so much easier to do 100 deals than it is to do 50 deals. Why? Because you can set up systems and have procedures and you can, you know, have people to assist you and you delegate. So the more business you do, the less tasks, the less task you're actually responsible for. So then you, you, you focus on just a few tasks and you get really good at it, which makes you more efficient. So it, it actually, you work less. It's, it's easier to do more business. It's way easier. Now, I will say that there is kind of like the first step into bigger business is like, if, 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 I don't know. I got these crazy things in my head sometimes. I remember one time when I was wearing a suit and I was in Las Vegas. And I, for some reason, I went outside <laughs> And it was probably July because there was an event there in July. I went outside and I just remember that heat wave hitting me. Mm-hmm. It was like in my face. And I'm telling you right now, I can't remember what I did with that at that moment. But I can assure you, wherever I was going, I was wondering if I even gave a damn about getting there. I was thinking about going back. Through the jacket away. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just how this is. Like when you decide to grow your business to the next level, it's like when you open that door for the first time, whew, it's quite overwhelming. There will be some more work and a little bit more harder work very temporarily. Yeah. But then once you get acclimated to it, you kind of get your bearings, all of a sudden it becomes much easier. So that is a lie yeah. that agents tell themselves all the time. People, I'm, I deal with it in goal setting. Well, what, you know, I say, most people I ask them, well, what would you like to do? Uh, next year. Well, I did 40 deals. So I think 50 would be good. And and then I say, okay, well, now I, now I know what you believe you can do. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you, what would you really like? Well, I'd really like to do a hundred deals. Okay. Tell me more about that. Well, you know, I would, but I don't think I have the time and that would be so it works. It'd be too much work and whatnot. It's like, what's going on here? Like if we actually laid out the business plan, to do 100 deals compared to the business plan 
to do 40 deals, it's going to be easier to do the 100. Yeah. Now, easier comes with also with more responsibility because mm-hmm. you've got other people that are relying on you to show up because maybe they're getting paid as an assistant. Mm-hmm. You may have to like invest in a few other things, uh, systems in order to leverage technology. So there's a conflict where people say, oh, it's harder. Well, it's not really harder. It's actually easier. But with easier comes more responsibility. I think that's what people are really avoiding. Yeah. And that's uh, that, um, you know, we could look at that no man's land where somebody is, you know, they've, they've figured out they're not getting, they're not washing out of the business. They've stabilized and they know this is a career. They're full time, but they're, they're struggling in that. And just, you know, it could be different every market based on price point, but say 15 to 35 or 20 to 40 deal range. That is the toughest part of this business is if your production is somewhere in that 20 to 40 deals and you're, you're trying to grow because you are probably doing just about everything in your business on your own. And mm-hmm. you're maybe two to three deals a month coming in. That is the most stressful time and people are grinding and they're working incredible hours. And if you just will, if someone can just guide you through that quickly and get to that 50, 60 plus, then it gets really, really easy because of all the stuff that you, you know, that you picked up in, in the um, delegation and things like that. Doesn't happen like a switch. There is hard work, but there's going to be hard work either way. It's either hard work and staying in the production or really, really bear down, hard work, move through that production gap, and then watch how things grow from there. Yeah, it's either it, it, it's hard to actually continue getting so little. Mm-hmm. And it's hard actually sometimes making the transition to get more. Yeah. You know, so it, it, either Both way, hard. Like hard is actually, that's just a word that we use to describe something. There's actually nothing like what something that somebody thinks is hard, somebody else thinks is easy. It's just a word that we use to describe. That's all it is. So here's what I wrote down, because I know that that's the end of the, uh, the, the things that we had on our list. But I wrote down, why, why are we telling ourselves these lies? Because like, if you think about some of the things between this podcast and the previous one, with the ones about the, why the, what, the lies the brokers are telling, it's like, well, brokers are not bad people. They surely would not want to really lie to people. So, you know, and they don't think they are lying. So we're just using that as a, as a term. Um, but I wrote down, here's why. Brokers and leadership and coaches are not really just leveling with people. They're doing it to avoid conflict and to, mm-hmm. to remain light. Because like if we tell everybody like the darn truth, like I tend to do in these podcasts, I, or at least my truth, I should say, I don't know if it's the truth, but, you know, I take the risk that some people are just not going to like that style. But I believe that I can either be liked or I can be effective. Mm-hmm. And if my goal and my, you know, and my intentions as a leader is to be effective so I can help those who follow get exactly what they want out of life, then I have to be transparent and I have to be authentic and I have to just lay it out there and take risks. So I think a lot of leaderships, brokers, managers, owners are afraid to take risks because if they take the risk and there's conflict, they may lose the relationship. And now why are lies being told? Why are agents telling lies to themselves? 
because they're trying to avoid it's 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 creative avoidance it's yeah. it's the way to creatively avoid not taking the next step taking the risk of getting out of the box and maybe looking bad looking stupid sounding stupid failing but nobody who gets out of the box and gets into and goes to a much higher level nobody avoids some sort of pain discomfort and failure that's what I was going to say is it's comfort and, and um, certainty. And there's, and certainty. there's no growth in comfort and certainty. No, yeah, that's a good one. No growth in comfort and certainty. And so I think what's happening is these lies have nothing to do with not knowing what should be done or what shouldn't be done. These lies are the stories that we tell ourselves to make, make ourselves feel better for not taking the next step. Mm. And, and if everyone just like lets that sit in, absorb that, think about that. Think about what it's costing you. Think about what it costs for you to actually believe all these lies you're telling yourself. Because the costs are extraordinary. Not only the cost to you, but your family, your friends, the charity that you could be helping or whatever you know, tugs at your heart. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Any last thing? Is that it? I think that wraps this one up pretty good. All right. Well, Enjoyed good. It. Well, I, I appreciate you. Um, I thank you for bringing this whole, this whole dialogue uh, to the podcast, because if anything, um, you know, it's, I feel like we've just hit the record button on a conversation that you and I needed to have, you know, as, as we're building our own companies. Yeah. Um, so I think it was just essential for me. I, hopefully the audience, hopefully you all do like this. I would love for you to comment, um, you know, and uh, let us know what your thoughts are. Please leave us a review, good or bad. Leave us a review. We really need uh, reviews. That's a way that you can contribute back to us. So that is my ask of you. And then hit subscribe, um, you know, so more of you will get the automatic notification whenever we do um, uh, produce these podcasts. Other than that, Brendan, uh, best way for them to reach you? Facebook Messenger. Reach yep. out and, and great comments from the last one. So I appreciate that and, and keep them coming. Yep. And uh, same with me. If you want to reach out to me and ask me any questions, just hit me up on Facebook Messenger. Until the next episode, we'll see you soon. Talk to you later. <laughs>